When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to be looking back at Fulham's fourth round cup defeat up at Man City at the Etihad and on a dramatic weekend in the FA Cup where there were shocks all around. Sadly, Fulham's cup upset only lasted 92 seconds. But what a glorious 92 seconds it was when Fabio put us ahead at the Etihad. The scenes in the away end looked absolutely sensational. But as expected, the City juggernaut came and was pretty relentless. But it was a good battle from Fulham. Plenty of positives to take out of a 4-1 defeat. Not too often that you can say that. But we were playing probably the best side in Europe. So it could have been an awful lot worse. Here to dissect everything that happened yesterday is Dom Betts. Hello, Dom. Hello, hello. First time you and I have done a pod in flipping ages, by the way, mate. So it's absolutely lovely. Yeah, I feel like maybe... The midweek post Blackburn seven nil. Yeah, it's been a it's been it's been a long time, but we managed to make uh, we we called your PA and uh, they set aside uh, today, which was very nice of them. Stephen Sheldrake, hello, hello everyone. Back from your travels in Thailand, how was it? Yeah, it's great. You can see from my radiant pale skin that I got a, a wonderful tan. Uh, it was amazing, <laughs> I and mean, it was totally worth watching the matches at three four in the morning, especially that Reading one. So uh, yeah, I would highly recommend. The time differences when you're in the uh, Southeast Asia are absolutely horrendous for trying to watch football. So fair play for actually managing to stick it out. Uh, and uh, it's been a little while since he's on. Good to have him back. Colm O'Donnell, how you doing? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me back. No worries. Thank you for coming on. Dom, let's have some three-word reviews from yesterday's game. What's the best ones that came in? So we start off with Twitter. We had first goal wins from FC Dom 2. <laughs> if only. <laughs> Fab start ruined by Gavin McGaw. Um, also on Twitter, we have four get the cup from Lee Warner 18. And over on Instagram, we have classic premature jubilation from Fulham Nick. Focus on league from Polish Pudding and made them worry from A. Murray 18. Yeah, let's start off with the start then. And what a frantic start it was, Stephen, to proceedings at the Etihad. Uh, just a couple of minutes in, an unbelievable ball from Mitrovic, found Harry Wilson, who found Fabio Carvalho. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Here we were, prepared for the cricket score from Man City. And all of a sudden, we're in the lead. I didn't know what to do with myself. I was there like, oh, God, uh, it must be offside. It's not offside. Oh, sh-. <laughs> and And just starting to dream, like, could we hang on for some, like, heroic 1-0 for, for 90 seconds? I really was in dreamland just thinking, oh my God, we don't need a cup run this year. We don't really want a cup run. But if if we had the chance to actually upset Man City at their own gaff, it would have been extraordinary. Um, we'll come on to the collapse in a second, but it was a fantastic goal. And after the week he's had, I was really pleased with Fabio just to kind of do his talking on the pitch. 
Oh, oh definitely. Um, first of all, I'm really happy for Dom that he got to see a goal at the Etihad. So well done. I'm assuming you saw the goal and you weren't. Yeah, at the no, bar. I did, no, I, no, I did see the goal. You know, only oh, my fifth time I'm lucky at the Etihad because I think yeah, my the four games previously I've seen us lose two 0 three 0 four 0 and five 0 So I was like, well, we're losing. Why are we losing one 0 or six 0 today? Those, those, yeah. those, those, those are the two options. But yeah, no, I'll be. I was saying it um, at work today. Those 90 seconds when we were ahead was just absolutely <laughs> phenomenal. You should have we, definitely we, left at that moment. Yeah, that's, that, me, that's what me and my mate, what me and my mate, my mate said it today. It was like, if we if we just left just before I scored their goal, it would have been the perfect day out. <laughs> <laughs> and I like you say, Sammy, I mean, what a goal it was. That, that ball from Mitrovic to Wilson was incredible vision. I think it was one touch, if I remember rightly. And then Wilson doing what he does best. He's, he had a very quiet game, in my opinion. But, you know, that ball across straight to Carvalho was just beautiful. And, you know, Carvalho showing the world why he's so good and really getting his name out there. Um, great. We get to enjoy it for the rest of the season. And um, yeah, let's just enjoy that small moment, I guess. Yeah, Colm, I mean, I saw some comments afterwards, people criticising Mitrovic that oh, this shows he can't do it in the Premier League. But then I saw a tweet uh, from Mike Bruce, um, who tweeted um, the goal saying, if Kevin De Bruyne had done that pass, everyone would be salivating, raving about it. It's an outrageously good pass. And look, the whole, oh, if Messi had done that, we'd be talking about it for years trope is, is commonly said. But actually, the comparison between uh, that is a De Bruyne-esque quality pass. And yes, the point is that Kevin De Bruyne does it 15 times a game. I get that. But still, it just showed how Mitrovic's game has elevated beyond anything else. He is not just the man that gets on the end of crosses. He is the man that our team is built around. And that goal for me epitomised it. Yeah, I think you're, I think you're, you're dead right. Um, like the ball was absolutely unbelievable i've watched it three or four times again even today <laughs> and the ball the ball is just first time he's not even facing he's hitting it on the turn down to wilson and as well on top of that wilson's ball in to fabio as well was exceptional i have to say as well the outside of the boot to find them um where he did was brilliant but yeah i think i don't want to get ahead of myself and ourselves and say we're definitely going to be in the Premier League next year but we're definitely going to be in the Premier League next year <laughs> and I hope I, I and I really do think Mitrovic will be a different player next year like you said the, the team has been built around Mitrovic um, now and the style that we're playing the free-flowing attacking football he loves getting on the end of that stuff and then also he's getting involved further out the pitch holding up the ball he's playing balls like he did yesterday I think next year in the Premier League hopefully is his year. He wasn't happy the last time we all know. He wasn't happy when he was there. He was in and out of the team. He wasn't getting on with Parker. I think next year could be could be that year. Like you don't just lose it because you because you change the league. The amount of goals he's scoring this year even is on another level compared to the even the other years that he was in the championship and he was brilliant in the championship those years as well. So hopefully next year is the year in the Premier League when he's there that he really makes an impact and finally this being either promoted or relegated every year since he's been in England. This is the last year of the fingers crossed. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. I mean, I know that Fulham have gone up and down like a yo-yo. So it's not that surprising, yeah. but I kind of forgot about the Newcastle stuff as well. Yeah. Um, Dom, you briefly mentioned it before, but what was it like when when that went in? I imagine just utter disbelief in the stands. I mean, I've seen a couple of uh, clips going around on Twitter today from the city end uh, that's showing um, the limbs, as they say, when uh, when Fulham scored. It did look good. It, I was a bit, I, you know, 
I couldn't make it yesterday. I was very jealous when I went during those moments and I just heard the Fulham fans go mental. Yeah, it's the, big, it's the biggest celebrations, I think, for, for a Fulham goal in a while because we haven't really had maybe too many decisive goals of the multiple goal victories we've had away from home this season. Uh, we don't need to list them all because it would take probably the rest of the podcast to listen mm. to list to list all the games we've won by two or three goals or even more away from home this season. Yeah, it was it, it was absolutely great. And it was actually the first time a, a lot of Fulham fans have been in a safe standing area in um in an English stadium. And you know, I think I think the main thing was unlike a, if it was let's say let's say it's a hole on Saturday, you wouldn't be falling down about four or five rows of uh, of stairs and doing your shins and and, and legs in. That's, that's the worst of one positive. Say saying you still celebrate loads, but it's as 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 the name suggests, it's a lot safer than when you're tumbling down four four or five rows of stairs. But yeah, oh yeah, great great celebrations. Um, you know, people will touch on it. You know, you lost four one though, but I think if we play like we did in that sort of opening sort of half hour or so, if we can play like that just against, you know, bottom half Premier League sides if if and when we go up for next season, then I think we'll have much more of a chance of staying up than maybe had in the last two campaigns. And just to bring it back up to the Mitrovic point, I guess, what what a pass it was into Wilson. And people talk about people talk about, oh, is he good enough for the Premier League? Is he a bit like a pookie in regard that is he really good in championship but not necessarily good in the pre- good in the Premier League? Well, what did he, he got eleven, I think eleven goals in the Premier League. Uh, when we went up under Slavisa Kanovic and obviously had Ranieri and Parker as, as his manager over the course of that season. But I, I still, I don't think Mikel Antonio scored more goals in that in a Premier League season, as far as I'm aware. And he plays up front for a team fighting for Europe. So I think, I think that it, he, he clearly is Premier League quality. You don't have one in two for Serbia who've qualified for, you know, the, the previous Euros and the World Cup if, if, if you're not a quality striker. Um, so, yeah, but yeah, going back to celebrations, yeah, they, 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 they were just brilliant. You know, I don't remember, because like, I don't remember the last time Fulham were playing a big team away from home and we go we, and we go get that that opening goal to put us into the lead. Mm. A lot of the times it might be it might be a consolation or it might have been a, an equaliser. But going ahead against a proper big team, it it just felt so good. I mean, I, I can't remember, especially being yeah. in the ground the last time something like that would happen. I don't want to go all the way back to like twelve thirteen, but the last time I I sort of remember us beating a big team away from home, it's probably that Spurs game on the Martin Yell when Dimitar Berbatov scored. You know, it. I'm not saying that's the last time we've had a good celebration for a goal, but playing a, a you know a top six side and going going into the lead, we may have we don't may have done it on previous occasions, but yeah, I think that's the one that just popped in uh, to my memory because I think that one always sticks to my memory because it's probably the last London derby in the Premier League before I'm actually won. Um, I'm just um, I'm just looking because obviously last season didn't count because we weren't in the ground. Yeah, because obviously so yeah, last season you would have you would have had the game at Anfield, obviously. So I'm but. looking at the 18-19 season when we went up and mostly were terrible. There was the equalising goal that Fulham had at Wembley. I think Mitrovic... Yeah, yeah actually, that's, that's, that's what he could point out, yeah. Well, Mitrovic scored it? Was it Sessignon that scored it? I think Mitrovic scored yeah, it. Was it was assist. It, yeah, it was the one where it sort of rolled it into the back of the net. And also there was, um, we went to the London stadium. We played West Ham. Oh yeah. Was it Babel made us? Babel scored after five minutes, put us one nil up. I don't put put West Ham in the same category there. No. So yeah, it's actually, when you put it like that, and I'm pretty sure we haven't any cup matches that have been really of note in that time. So yeah, when you put it like that. We played Man City two years ago, but yeah, nothing of note happened. Yeah, well we didn't score, did we? And we didn't go ahead particularly. So I think it's a very valid point you make there. It's not very often that, I think we've kind of come to expect that Fulham play big teams. 
teams. We do. We've played them a lot. It's not that big a deal for Fulham to go to the Etihad in lots of ways. But actually, yeah, maybe more seismic that moment yesterday um, than I realised. But of course, Stephen, we know it didn't last. I was annoyed with the defending for the first goal. You could say, yes, the corner was worse defending. And, and yeah, the corner wasn't great. But the way that the first goal, like, it was just unrelenting pressure, really, from City. And eventually it fell to Gundogan, who was just a bit easily... He was just unmarked, wasn't he? I, I I don't know. I felt like that goal was avoidable and sloppy. The corner was a you know, decent corner. It was a great header from John Stones. I don't know how much more you can avoid that. Occasionally, a good team like City is going to do that. But I just thought the first one, particularly so soon after going ahead, because, I mean, City would have eventually won this game. Of course they would. But... I think had Fulham managed to keep it, you know, 10, 20 minutes, start frustrating the Etihad crowd, we could have been on to something. Yeah, I mean, Guardiola definitely kind of put the controller on ultra-attacking settings as soon as uh, we scored that first goal, didn't he? It was about 10 players in the freaking Fulham area. It was just absolute madness. Um, very frustrating, of course, because I do feel that if we just got hold of the ball and played the good football that we know we can, we really could have held them off and maybe kind of utilised them throwing every body forward and maybe gone on to get a second. But of course, that was um, that was quickly crushed. Uh, and it was frustrating, you know, the way Gundogan just kind of slips into the bottom corner with the side of his foot and you just watch it roll in. It's always quite frustrating. You know, is it a case of bad defending or great attacking? I'd say a bit of both. It looks like City really spread us across the box and then, you know, did the job there. Um, but I, you know, I'm not really sure what we can do, you know, looking back on it now. I mean, Reed could have been a bit tighter to him. Uh, is there a question over whether Rodak organizes the defense a little bit better or, you know, we, we know Gazaniga is a very capable goalkeeper, so maybe that's not a point for discussion there, but it, it was frustrating. Um, but on reflection for me personally, when we went into the dressing room at halftime, I was full, filled with nothing but pride or over the performance, um, at that point. Uh, really proud of the boys for what they did on the day. Yeah, Colm, I thought it was a good first half performance. I've got to agree with Stephen. I thought Nathaniel Chalaba was particularly impressive in the middle as well. Real, Really battled r- fantastically well, um, I thought. And although it was 2-1 at half time, I just felt like on the balance of the half, City weren't lucky to be ahead, but I didn't think really were truly deserving of it. Obviously, they were electric going forward, but I just really felt like Fulham held their own. Yeah, I think, and I think that sums it up perfectly. They held their own, definitely. Um, to take the lead, the, the goal was brilliant. The, the, uh, to put them ahead, yeah, it, it seems to always happen, kind of in these big matches as well. As soon, you know, the the theory of you score too soon, um, you know, uh, and kind of being a Fulham fan and obviously an Ireland fan for a long time, that regularly comes up that you, you score too soon if you're against a big team you score too soon and you take the lead too soon maybe it was a case of that um, but it was great to see them go out and actually play football and not kind of you know sit back and try and put everybody behind the ball because it's Man City because it's in the Etihad put everybody behind the ball and sit there and invite City onto us and then try and scrape and they'll all draw or, or whatever you know I think it was brilliant and there's plenty of compliments going around as well I saw a couple of kind of tweets throughout the day yesterday and, and today, and they were all very complimentary of how Fulham kind of took the game to, to Man City in the first half, how they played. And people were even saying it's the best anybody has played against Man City. That first half performance is they, they played better than most of the Premier League teams have played against Man City today, 
to, to this date. And you, you kind of have to remember as well, going thinking forward to the Premier League, not every team in the Premier League is going to be as good as Man City. <laughs> you know, we, we really held our own against, like you said earlier, the best team in Europe. And it really gives me hope for next year that when we're playing teams in the bottom half of the league, when we're kind of playing anybody apart from, you know, maybe the top three, four, that you go and you actually think, right, we actually have a chance here. You know, if you're playing City in the Etihad, you're really going, hoping for a bit of luck and hoping that we get something out of it. But in the other games, I really think we'll be going and we'll be saying, right, we, we, have, a, we, have, a, we have a real good chance of actually winning, winning this game here. And... It's going to be exciting, and I'm, and I'm really, I'm really looking forward to it. Dom, is there a case though of it's? It's very easy for Marco to go all guns blazing because it's the FA Cup against Man City. Everyone goes, like, "Oh, weren't full and brilliant," but ultimately we did lose four-one yesterday, and realistically, we're always going to playing that style of football. Um, is it? <laughs> Is it a bit foolhardy, that approach, trying to go there? Is that, might be, if we do go up, Silver's undoing next year, is that ultimately, as good as we are, if we try and play attacking football like that against the big six, we're mostly going to get taken apart. I spoke to David Mooney before the game and I said, yeah, we're going to go for it. We're an attacking team. Marcus Silver's not going to go there and shut up shop. And he's like, yeah, I mean, that is, music to our ears that means city will win because we will just do it better than you yeah but i think i think you should just compare it to our previous visits to the etihad under under other managers you know basically the other four of time four times i've gone so you've got you know when we i know with the tim Ream red car our last our last fourth round tie that didn't exactly help but we again that was much where we were just sitting back and not offering much there was the league cup game in eighteen nineteen, where yeah, again, we didn't attack really much there. Same with same with the league game. If I remember correctly, the league game when when we I think we were one nil down, like the cup game in like under three or four minutes. So I think yes, you can say that, but it's we still seen something different than we have in our pre, previous three or four trips to the Etihad. So I think I think there are positives to take. And you know, as 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 we've been mentioning, if we play like that against bottom half teams, there are bottom half teams. Let's say for example. You know, Watford stay up or Burnley stay up, for example. If we play them, we're we're still probably going to have more of the ball, and I think we can we can play a game. Obviously, defensively there are sort of causes for concern, but I was speaking to a few Man City fans I know from England games yesterday, and they were saying at least, and I was saying it today, at least we gave it a go and we did attack Man City. We were and we weren't just sitting there ready to be beaten. We were trying to offer our game to them as well. And you know, they were saying as as we mentioned earlier, they were saying, yeah, I'd much. I, I, you played better than what Chelsea did when they came here. Chelsea didn't even have a shot on goal, if I remember correctly, until like the 70th, 65th minute when they played Man City in that half twelve kickoff a couple of weeks ago. So yeah, I'm. I think there are there are positives taken. I don't think it's like oh, but you 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 can play Man City, you can go for it. I said if we play like a Burnley or a Watford or even maybe a Southampton. You know, we are going to give these teams a game, and I think this shows much more positive signs of us actually mounting a survival push than under our previous two campaigns. Um, Stephen, in the second half, I was kind of hoping that Fulham could try and nick one, get back into it. The third for Man City really killed it as a contest. And of course, it came from the penalty from Jack Grealish. Still think it's very harsh. I can see why VAR didn't overturn it, but I just thought that... He ran into Joe Bryan, really. I, I don't think Joe Bryan lunges for the ball and takes out Jack Grealish. I think he literally goes searching for the contact. I mean, just one of them, but 
typical Jack Grealish, really, isn't it? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, I think he was the highest fouled player in the Premier League, like by a really large margin last season. So this is what Jack Grealish does. You know, Man City are fully aware um, of his talents. That's why they spent so much on him because he can fall over and then De Bruyne or whoever can just take the free kick or the penalty in this case. Uh, Really soft. Uh, I could see, you know, the contact made by Brian, but I'm looking at the ball and at that point, Jack Grealish has nothing on when that ball has gone straight into the keeper's hands. Uh, so it's really frustrating. It's it's very typical Jack Grealish style. And when it happened, I just kind of felt deep frustration because you knew that was kind of the moment the game was over. And I had flashbacks to uh, when we were under Parker and they, Sterling got that early penalty, I think. And it's just, it felt a bit typical, very Man City. Uh, but I mean, wow, what a strike by Mares for the penalty. Uh, I don't think anyone's saving that, despite uh, Gaza getting really close. Uh, it was uh, quite uh, quite some finish, wasn't it, into the yeah top left. It was amazing. Yeah, it was a good penalty. I mean, the fourth goal was a bit of a mistake. There's no need to really dissect everything that happened. Um, bit of an interesting one, whether it actually did come off Tim Ream as an own goal. Um, but Colin, I thought um, Nico Williams yesterday on his debut was solid enough. I don't think we saw the absolute best of him yesterday, but I kind of got the impression that I think he will be a more than capable right back option. When everyone's on the ball, he looked very assured. You could tell that he's played at high level Premier League level because he wasn't panicking at all whenever he got on the ball and I think against a team like Man City in the situation we were in that's probably the best we can hope for is that he just looked very very assured and if you're looking assured against Man City you're probably going to look more than assured against Millwall on Tuesday yeah I think I think that was a really true bit of business to be to be totally honest with you um you don't um you don't spend that long under Jurgen Klopp and as an understudy and Trent and don't pick up a few things and don't learn learn a lot from them so I really think and I think he'll play I think he'll play a lot we know Kenny Tete's injury problems um, and with Dennis Adoy gone you know there is definitely game time there for him and I think he will have um, a, a big impact over the next few months and it will be interesting to see but yeah definitely yesterday he seemed very solid um, didn't really do a whole lot wrong I suppose, yeah, you're part of that back four that conceded four goals, but it's against the best team in Europe. We can't really. So it'll be interesting to see now uh, against Millwall if he plays and and how he does in that. But like you said, I think surely he should be well up to this standard and I think he'll have a point to prove. I'm sure he'll want to go back to Liverpool and get game time um, next year or... You know, maybe he stays with Fulham if they uh, if they get promoted to the Premier League or who knows. He would. I think he'll definitely have a point to prove, and um, and I think he'll be up for it for these remaining however many matches there is. And yeah, I really like the look of him yesterday, and hopefully, hopefully he'll um, have an impact for the rest of the season. Uh, and Dom, anything else really from the game that that stood out to you being there in the stands yesterday? I think as soon as Man City made it four one. It was almost like a bit of a gentleman's agreement that they weren't going to embarrass us. They had the fifth that was um, disallowed. Fabio obviously missed quite a good chance to make it 4-2, which would have been quite nice, I think, and probably what Fulham would have deserved. I think 4-2, probably, if you look at the reflection of the game, probably would have summed up the match a lot more. Reem missed a, uh, a header late on that was that was pretty close. Was there anything else, really, that you saw that was worth writing home about, or was it just a case of game done, move on? 
Yeah, so it, especially in the second half, I think it was just, yeah, we move on, we look ahead to Millwall on Tuesday. Because you could tell in that first half, we really did give it a go. And in the second half, I'm not saying we didn't create chances. You mentioned some of the ones we created there. To be fair, at half time, I said, I don't mind losing like 5 2 or 6 2 just to get a goal at our, <laughs> Fulham goal at our, at our supporting end. But. You know, because it's not like a league game where it's affecting your goal difference or anything. There, um, there wasn't anything too much to write home about. I mean, the only things that sort, the more things that stood out to me were, I'd say, more negative than positive. For example, I, I don't think Gazaniga is good enough. I think Rodak's clearly a better goalkeeper, but I didn't think goalkeeper position is a must improve there for next season. But I think potentially it is. I think everyone's looked at left back where Robinson is and left centre back where Tim Ream is. But I think goalkeeper might actually be another really important position we may need to improve on in the summer. Yeah, well, particularly if uh, Ariola isn't getting the first team spot, still feels like that might be a, a potential for uh, for next summer. I read that Ariola has, um, there's no there's no buy option in the, in the West Ham loan deal. So maybe Ariola might be a, an option again next year who knows yeah I feel like we're all massively going back on ourselves after a whole summer saying like we didn't need Ariola Rodak doesn't have the chance <laughs> listen to us fickle um Stephen yeah I just like a couple more points on the City game that I think really interesting first of all like I saw a lot of noise online complaining about our defense uh as people do on social media um and first of all obviously we're against Man City so it's kind of redundant but you know if you imagine us playing this style of football, but next season with reinforcements. So let's say, you know, Tim Ream's on the bench and you get an Anderson in, of course, Anderson's amazing, but let's say you've got Anderson instead of Ream in that position and maybe a bit more pace left back. If Robbo was starting over Brian, for example, you know, I think that'd be really interesting to kind of consider if we had that one nil lead, how, just a bit of extra defensive stability could have completely changed the outcome of that game um, in that kind of crucial moment. So I think there's no point saying, oh, we're not ready to play Man City because we're going to have lots of incomings if we go up. So that's the first thing to consider. And the second thing for me, uh, a question I'd love to ask all of you and the listeners think about um, is, you know, would you rather lose 4-1 to Man City like we did or would you rather lose 2-0 like we did when we were under Scott Parker? And I know, I remember that game when we went there. I was full of absolute dread and then watching it, it was the most boring game in the entire world when we lost 2-0 and I wanted to just throw my TV out of the house. It was just awful. And yesterday, I was filled with so much optimism and at least like entertainment. And I think Dom will agree with me here. And I think you probably all do agree with me. You know, I'd much rather lose kicking and screaming and having a good passionate fight against them than just sitting back and taking it. 100%. I think that, you know, giving it giving it a go. And, this, and this, I'm not saying we, we, we really care what City fans think about us or our football team, but this, the respect we were getting from City fans, you know, City, City fans I've got or people outside the ground, that at least we did give it a go. And we did show we didn't, we weren't just trying to park the bus and keep it as low as possible. Obviously, these sort of situations change when it's a league league game next season because obviously when you're trying to avoid the drop goal difference is a big thing that comes into the equation I'm not saying we should go for it if we have Man City away next year and lose 6-1 but um, I think in the cup game it allow it allows you more license to do that than if it was over in the final sort of last sort of run-in of a league campaign but yeah I think that is the way that's the way it should be there's no point just oh we're going to lose let's just keep it as low as possible at least give it a go and you can, you can see what happened you know we've seen shot results you know 
and you know, I know today they did end up both winning, but you look at what Kidamitsa Harriers did to West Ham yesterday. You look at playing for goal did at Stanford Bridge, you know, obviously they went one up. It shows if you do take it to these supposedly better sides and they're not up for it on the day, you can get the results. I think that's sometimes something we didn't get under Ranieri or under Scott Parker or really was that sometimes we sort of accepted that, oh, we're not getting anything from this game. You know, I, I often said that, you know, our tops or top four, top six home in a way, don't expect anything. I'm not saying necessarily it's a free hit, but go for it. Because, you know, these teams might, might be on an off day and they might not expect it and you might be able to get a result. Well, I never yeah, forget I'm, Martin I'm... Yole when he went to Anfield and Fulham lost 4-0 and said something, I can't remember the exact quote, but something along the lines of Fulham shouldn't expect to win games like this. And I think that is an infuriating attitude to have. I think sometimes it can be a bit naive maybe to go into these games, but ultimately if you lose all of them 5-0 or all of them 2-0, apart from goal difference, which when's the last team you ever saw get relegated on goal difference? It's been a long time it doesn't make an awful lot of difference, particularly if that style then means that actually in the games that you're expected to win, there's a hangover into that and then you struggle to win those games. I am happy if Fulham go up next season and give it a good go. And you see some teams that have come up recently and given it a good go. I think Leeds is the obvious example. Yes, they've been hammered a couple of times. They lost 7-0 to City um, earlier this season and but they win enough games generally to stay up those teams that do go for it, that do have that attacking potential and believe in it. Generally, it gets them over the line. You might lose some games horrifically, but ultimately you tend to get the job done. Yeah, I I, I agree with everything that's said there, but I'm also a little bit wary about it because I do, I'm comparing when we're in the Premier League with, with Slav and when we're in the Premier League with Parker, um, with Slav, it kind of got to a point where I kind of, before a game, I just, you know, I was saying to myself, okay, what score are Fulham going to lose today? You know, it was, you know, and that was that expansive. He wanted it, and fair play to him, he did it. He wanted to play the same brand of football that got us to the Premier League, obviously, and look, it just, it just didn't work out. Then with Parker, I never really had that feeling of, I always believed, stupidly probably, <laughs> looking back on it now, but I always believed that there was a chance that you might get something out of the game, that you might win, you might get a draw, you might, whatever. It never actually happened, but I was full of hope. Whereas just in that slab season when we were playing that expansive football, I did really just kind of always think to myself, how much are we going to lose by today? I was never confident going into the game and um, it got to that point. So I'd like to see a balance, definitely. I love the way Marco plays. Uh, just don't want it to be, you know, how it turned out with him at, at Everton, you know, that kind of way. And so, yeah, I'm firmly kind of on the fence, let's say, about it between between the two experiences. And I think we've been burnt both ways, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And and Slav went to Man City and tried to play football with them and it didn't turn out particularly well. I guess my other concern is, is I think that what Marcus Hill has built here, that front four, is so electric, but we know that Fabio's at the heart of it. We just know that he's the heart of it and he won't be here next season. And I think Bobby Reed can do a job in the 10. I think Harry Wilson can do a job in the 10, but I don't think anyone quite replaces Fabio Carvalho in that 10, unless we can buy someone in quality and you know, quality, quality number 10s like that are not easy to come by. So that's a big issue for next season if, when we go up, et cetera, et cetera. Right. We'll leave it there. Afterwards, we're going to do some of your questions. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here. I'm joined by Don Betts. Hello, hello. Stephen Sheldrake. Hello, everyone. And a real Irishman amongst our ranks, Colm O'Donnell. Hey, guys. Colm, you must have been happy with the rugby yesterday. Yes, I certainly was. I was actually in at the rugby. I was at it, so I only got to watch the Fulham Man City match after I came home. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah, so it was. <laughs> it's annoying. It's annoying watching a game again, the full 90 minutes, when you know what's going to happen and you know that it's going to end up 4 1. But um, I, still, I was still getting excited in that first half, though. <laughs> yeah, he's thinking Ireland's doing well and Fulham are 1 0 up at Man City. Yeah, what yeah, what yeah, a Saturday yeah. afternoon this is. Uh, I was actually, out to I be. had a WhatsApp sent to the lad saying, oh, yes, get in there, Fabio. And then I had to send one straight away after saying, oh, damn. <laughs> it all happened that quickly. <laughs> uh, right, let's do some questions. I really like this one from Vincent Leander to start off with. He said, if you could sign one player from either of our last two Premier League squads to return for our next, in brackets, hopefully likely Premier League squad, who would it be? And that as a fantasy aspect, they would return in peak form. Um, so last two Premier League seasons, we've had some good players in amongst there. You know, the obvious ones from last season, Ariola, Anderson, Lamina, etc. But you think back to the first time as well. Yeah, someone like Luciano Vieto. Uh, who else was good? Callum Chambers was good in that season. Uh, so yeah, from each of you, who would be your, uh, you can only have one. And they and as, as as Vincent said, they're in peak form, so you don't have to worry about whether they're good or they're bad. Looking at the players here, I'd probably go with Ariola. I'm not saying he's my favourite out of all of them, but I'm looking at the team and what we actually need right now. And I'd say left back, left centre back, and goalkeeper, as I mentioned, in three positions. And well, there isn't any left backs to choose from. To be, to be honest, I would actually have gone back to our 17-18 promotion team and gone with Matt Target. But obviously, that's that was not in the question. Obviously, there was Anderson at centre back, but I think you know, I think we can get quality similar to Anderson if we. But I think Ariola is such a high quality goalkeeper that I think I'd definitely go with him because I think it is. After, I know we Rona didn't play yesterday, but you know I don't think he's been amazing this year. I think he's been good enough, but I think yeah, goalkeepers position. I think we need to improve in, especially when we get promoted, playing top quality strikers week in week out. So you have to go with Alphonse Ariola. Yeah, I have a very obvious answer, and then a guilty pleasure. So I go with the obvious answer of Anderson because he was just world class. I'm still crying every night of the fact that he's playing for Crystal Palace. Um, I mean, imagine Anderson in this current team. We would be such a force. That goal difference would be looking even, even better. My guilty pleasure, the one that gives me tingles, is uh, Ryan Babel. I can't help it. I just, the way he played, I loved his physicality. I loved the red hair and the skills he did. I just really enjoyed watching him play. And if we're talking like, P 
peak in form, I'd happily see him floating as Cam or, you know, left wing or right wing when needed or even up front. I just absolutely love the guy. Usually drink, usually dance. <laughs> Colm. Uh, Anderson, definitely, I think for me, is, is number one. Um, I think, yeah, I think we do need to improve those centre-backs. Poor old Jim Reed just never gets a chance in the Premier League, of course. I do think I'd love to have Anderson back. But there's a really obvious one that just came to my mind there. It's never, ever going to happen. Harvey Elliott, I'll take him back. <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, <laughs> yeah. He'd solve our number 10 problems. He's, uh, no, he's a superstar. He's he's going to be... Yeah, it was an alright goal today, wasn't it? Think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's going to be big time, so I'd love to have him back. I'm going to, I mean, all of your answers are, are perfectly valid. I'm going to go and break the rules of the question. But if I could have one loney back from the last five, ten years right now, I'd have Seco Fafana. Doing bits for, is it, who did I say? Uh, is it not? I thought he's in France, isn't he, Seco Fafana? Is it like RC Lons or something? Maybe. Uh, yes, he's playing for Lons. Lon. Lens. Lens, yes. RC Lens. Yeah, good old Seco. He's absolutely tearing it up in the French League. Um, he'd be an absolutely fantastic signing if we could get him back. I'm, I am shocked that he's doing so well. Like, he was all right for us, but I never Mate, quite he, saw him what being he did a European... Huddersfield, what he did at Huddersfield away, that just showed the real potential that man had of missing on one-on-one -on -one and then tapping in the rebound. I mean, that was potentially one of the most incredible games that ever happened to Fulham FC. Uh, right, next one from Elizabeth. Um, she said, after yesterday, should we feel cheered or down on our prospects if we get promoted to the Premier League uh, re this match? I like that Elizabeth said if, not when. Good good stuff, Elizabeth. I think this, this, this should be a sort of cause for optimism. I, if I remember correctly, when we championship last time, didn't we play Southampton in the third round? And we didn't really offer anything in the terror game of football like Southampton at home usually is. We, mm. I, I, I don't remember last night, apart from that win in eighteen nineteen. I don't remember last time I enjoyed Southampton at home <laughs> at Craven Cottage. I don't have too many good memories from it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it showed we showed our attacking intent. I think it shows it, it shows that how we're going to approach games against these sides. Yes, we lost four one, but as we've mentioned, if you play like this against the bottom half teams you will pick up more points than we have done in previous campaigns. I know you can look at the last Premier League campaign and after that Liverpool win back in, I think it was in the March of that season, we were, I think, only one point off Brighton who'd played a game less than us. But I really do think, as, as, we, as we've mentioned with Leeds, as we've mentioned, even just other teams we've seen, if these teams who attack teams, you know, even when Watford first came up um, with the likes of Dini and Agallo up front, I think that, it shows that if you do attack, if you do attack, you're going to be playing better football than a lot of the teams fighting around you, and you are going to be picking up those wins. Yes, you might get a, as you as we mentioned, a beating off some of the better scenes, but you'll be beating the teams around you, and that's the most important thing. So, the way we've been playing this season, because you remember when we came up two years ago, we finished fourth, and it was third this, uh, the time before that. This time, it looks like we could, we're probably gonna we'll get top two and hopefully even win the league. So, I think it shows it's a better team than those teams, and I think what we what, what we want to see here is just this type of football continuing next season, and we don't change and sort of revert to type that we've seen in the previous two Premier League campaigns. 
Uh, next question from Cheeseboard FFC, Stephen, saying, is it a reflection of what is possible with Fulham away fans if tickets are priced sensibly? Um, it was obviously £10 tickets yesterday at the ground. I mean, the City fans seemed really up for it. I was kind of shocked. I was like, lads, you're always going to win this. <laughs> Fulham in the FA Cup. I don't know why you care so much here. But look, it was also 3,000 Fulham fans that went to City yesterday, which... You know, given our away attendance, it's a really impressive uh, amount of fans to go to the Etihad yesterday. Do you think it was more than twice the amount we took to, um, well, nearly three times the amount we took to Stoke only a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. So do you think it's all down to price? Was it the glamour of the cup? Like, what was it that you think made it such a, it felt like a real, like, occasion yesterday. And I really wasn't expecting that from what I thought was a fairly drab FA Cup meeting. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, FA Cup fourth round, uh, you know, long journey, uh, a a game which you're always going to lose. And we bring 3000 fans. I think it's exactly a price point uh, issue and something that should be strongly encouraged um, going forward because, you know, you assume that all, you know, a lot of fans are getting the coach. They all live around Fulham and it's easy to get to, but someone like me who lives on the South coast, it's, and it's two hours on top of, you know, two and a half hours on top of the coach journey. Uh, sometimes, you know, that journey is difficult and the pricing into that, you know, can become a real challenge. And when you start adding everything up and the, you know, uh, I mean, in a way, the Thames Link and Southern Rail are running at the moment. If you were to get the train, mm. it'd probably take you the, the entirety <laughs> of the day. I think my mate who lives down near Brighton, we got back to London at 11, and I still don't think he got to his house until about half two. Mm. And you have to factor in the copious amount of amounts of beers you need to enjoy, you know, a big away day and, and whatnot. And um, it is a real barrier, and it, it's a real treat for me to do an away day. And I usually try and do ones that are a little bit closer. Um, so... You know, I think it really is something that we should look at going forward and try and keep those costs down as much as possible, really. Yeah, indeed. Um, Colm, I'll come to you on this one. Um, Sammy, not me, Sammy asks, it's clear we are a few players away from having a great chance to stay up next season. How do you think this squad would do in the Premier League? Um, I guess he's saying that if if we signed absolutely no one um, going into next season, do you think we'd stay up? If you look at the rest of the Premier League teams that you've seen this year, I certainly would be fairly optimistic. I watched Burnley Watford last night and I really wish I hadn't. Uh, I'd, I'd be optimistic as well I have to say I, I do think though defensively we are a bit frail um, so yeah I, I, I don't I don't think we'd be um, I'd be optimistic that we might stay up with, but I think it would be by the skin of our teeth and I don't think we'd enjoy it I don't think um, it'd be a good season to sit down and watch whereas I think if we if we just improve that back line slightly I think we we have we have a great chance and we have a great chance of kind of finishing mid table next year in the Premier League if I'm totally honest. I think the I think just attacking we are just awesome at attacking wise. We just um there's just no stopping it. But like you said, obviously as well, Sammy, you know, Carvalho is key to that and he's he's central to that. So, you know, if we lose him, but if we keep him, if the if the rule is that we're it's the exact same squad, maybe that makes up the best the best way to uh, defend is just to attack more, I suppose, is maybe might be a way of getting around us. Um, but yeah, I think I think we would, but just by the skin of our teeth, I think if we want to have a good season, an enjoyable season, I think we probably need to strengthen in defence. 
Yeah, yeah. You watch uh, Fabio Carvalho's reaction to the penalty going in, by the way. There was an angle that showed Fabio getting really pissed off when that penalty goes in. You try telling me he doesn't give a shit. He cares, that lad. I don't care. He might be leaving this summer. He cares. And maybe it's just because he cares about any match of football that he's playing in. But he looks annoyed. And although I was, he wasn't happy to see that penalty going in. I was happy just to see that little bit of emotion for, from. Yeah, Fabio. and it was and it was great actually. The fact that he scored within whatever it was was a three minutes of his first game after all that speculation and everything that happened. And that he, he, like three minutes in, he gets the goal. It's just perfect, isn't it, to show his intent and to to show that he is up for it for the rest of the season and he's not just going to rest on his laurels now and wait for Liverpool to come calling again. Yeah, signed a ting, Fabio. Uh, Dom, Trevor uh, raises an interesting point. He said, he actually hasn't really asked a question, but it does lead on to a talking point. He says, these kickoff chimes that have changed for Sky Sports are getting even worse. No consideration for the fans at all. And the fixtures uh, came out for March um, last week uh, when Fulham are going to be on telly. I mean, there were some eye-raising ones in there to say the least. Barnsley at 12.30 kickoff and then Nottingham Forest at home Saturday 8pm. I mean, I'd neither. say the Forest neither. one is worse than the Barnsley one. Okay, for, I assume you're thinking of Forest fans here. It's kind of okay-ish from a home fan point. Of yeah, from but I mean, just in, if you analyse it, because I think uh, for the twelve thirty in Barnsley away, you can still get you can still get there with a train leaving at like half eight nine o'clock ish. So it's not it's not like you've got what you got to get like a, a seven o one from Houston and change t- t- three times. But yeah, yeah. it's not a, it's not a, it's not a good kickoff time. We can say at least. But eight o'clock, Forest fans trying to get back from that. That is just why can't it be half five or why 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 can't it be why can't you have two games on at half twelve? Why why do you need an eight o'clock game in any in any league on a Saturday? Yeah, I don't really understand. I also can't imagine that the TV audiences are worth it. Who's actually going, oh, you know what? No, I won't go out on Saturday night. I'm going to watch uh, Fulham Forest because I'm a neutral that really loves my football. Yeah, so the only people who are going to be watching it is when it's just on in the pub that they are currently in and it's just another game of football that's on. Maybe that is the attraction. Maybe that is what Sky Sports want. There's some viewing figures in well, the fact I guess because they, they have the half five kickoff in the Premier League on a Saturday, so maybe just get a double header of football and they know a lot of people might will just keep it on after watching whatever the Premier League half five is that day. Yeah, I mean, they do feel quite bad this season. There's been a couple of rotters, not always involving us. I think it was Bournemouth who got the 12.30 up at Middlesbrough, which it was just brutal. And also from um, next month in March, there's, I think you, they, they have to give you even less time of notice. I think it's usually five weeks, but I think from March for the final sort of six weeks, two months of the, two months of the season, it actually changes, goes down to four weeks because they don't release the entire month when it comes like that. They do it in sort of match days or two match days at a time. So they are going to get moved fairly close. At least we, at least we know last game of the season is already got a scheduled time and that's, that, that's not going to change. You don't have to be changing your travel plans to, uh, to go to Bramwell Lane, but yeah, it's, it's, it, 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 it really, it really doesn't help, especially with what train prices are like, sort of in the pandemic at the moment, you know, and they're not as cheap as they were pre-pandemic. I can, I can say that because especially, for example, Great Western Railway, 
you're not finding many advanced singles on that train line, I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Bristol and Cardiff have both pretty much been full fare. Swansea was still fairly expensive as well, at least at least for the likes of Manchester and at least for the likes of, I think, Barnsley was fairly cheap for myself. So, yeah, it's at least the train lines aren't and the short notice isn't exactly helping right now. No, I think that train companies and then the, there was a government initiative that was being looked at by the FSA where they were trying to come up to, with an arrangement with train companies that if football fans had matches moved, then the train companies would change your ticket free of charge, which would mean that in a season you could go get the absolute best ticket price. You, you could get the best prices because you would get them on the on-sale dates and football fans are savvy and they're happy to do that and work with the system. But there's no point doing it if especially when you're a team like Fulham going up for promotion this season there's a chance of you know games being moved so often yeah I think what I find funny now is that the TV fixture announcement dates I think the Premier League missed theirs by like a few days for the most for the most recent one like it Premier League and Championship TV fixture release dates is like when a Euros or Nations League or World Cup qualifying draw is done. I'm looking to book flights to, you know, Kosovo, Bulgaria, Czech Republic, etc. It's a similar thing to that. You're waiting for it for now so you can book your travel straight away. And if it's an overnight, maybe you need to book a hotel and, th- and things like that. But the closer it gets to the time, the more expensive things you're going to get. That's just that's just how hospitality and travel works. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it really doesn't help. And it moving into only a four-week period going from mid-March isn't exactly going to make as I said, make things any easier. No, indeed. Uh, I do feel a bit sorry for those uh, Forest fans. That is an absolute rotter of a kickoff time. Right, so we're going to take a break there. And afterwards, we're going to look at to Millwall on Tuesday. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, it's Sammy with Dom, Colm and Stephen. Looking ahead to Millwall then on Tuesday, back at the cottage and back to league action for the Whites. Looking to get back to winning ways. Someone is having a firework display, by the way, next door to me, which is quite annoying at the moment. So if you hear a massive bang, um, that's why. I don't know why quarter past eight on a Sunday evening of February requires fireworks, but hey-ho. Uh, so Millwall on Tuesday, um, who have not been having a great time of it lately, Dom. Um they got quite a good win over West Brom a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, but everyone's but, beating West Brom at the moment. So. Yeah, but and they sacked uh, Valerian Ishmael uh, last week and appointed Steve Bruce, which is... I do find co- it funny with Steve Bruce. He's, what, he's managed Birmingham Villa, West Brom, Newcastle and Sunderland, Sheffield Wednesday and Sheffield United. Is he going to get Wolves soon to complete the Midlands quadruple? Is he going to go manage Bolton next because he also managed Wigan? I just, it's, just, it's quite funny. Clearly a very loyal man, clearly. Yes. Steve Bruce. Um, but Millwall not having the, the greatest of seasons, Dom, um, this should be a good opportunity for us to get back to winning ways. Yeah. And when we played them earlier on in the season, I know we we only won 2-1, but in that 
in that game we absolutely battered, battered them. them. We should have we could have won that game about six, that could have been another seven nil that game, especially in that first half where we scored those two goals and it looked like we could go on to score seven. But yeah, I said as you mentioned, Sammy, that West Brom win, I think they're only, they're only uh, league winning probably I think five games. Mm. Um I think I think they've, they've had a couple of draws, but yeah, I think they've only won two in like seven or something or something like that. The whole Jed Wallace situation isn't helping him, you know, one of their best players. There was rumours, I think he was, there was a bid submitted from Nottingham Forest, I want to say, for £7 or £8 million pound on deadline day. With only, I think he's only got six months left on his contract as well. Uh, but that was rejected. It looks like, obviously, they don't be getting rid of their best player and not getting one in uh, with six months left of the season. Um, and I think he's been rumoured to move to Turkey in the summer. But yeah, they're not having the greatest scene. Not like when um, we both came together on that, I think it was an April or March evening where, you know, we were both on those really long unbeaten runs together on that Friday night uh, down at the Den. But yeah, this should be a way to get back to winning ways. Obviously, we with the loss to Manchester City and the draw to Blackpool in the league last time out, they also when we play them would have had a week off they obviously didn't play this weekend their, their league game didn't go ahead because whoever they were scheduled to play uh, will probably still in the FA Cup um, and yeah they I think they, they drew with Preston last time out last week so this will be their first game in the week so they'll be fresh ready to go but you know I think Fulham just this this will be a nice game for us to get back to winning ways ahead of a tough trip to Hull next Saturday who've had a good run of form themselves beating both Blackburn and Bournemouth in recent games so yeah I think this is a, a good game for us to get back to winning ways and hopefully we can put a few goals past them under the lights at Crane Cottage on Tuesday night. Yeah, Colin, what kind of side are you expecting here? We'll have a few returnees. We should have Robinson back from the US after playing three games in um, Siberian weather. I don't know who did the scheduling for the US, but they sent, where are the three coldest places in the whole of the continent that we could play a football match? Let's go there. Um, and we'll have Decadova Reed back. We will have Seri back. Of course, he came off the bench um, yesterday at City so quite a lot of options suddenly for Silva in a time where he hasn't had uh, that much option um do we do we see wide scale changes or will we see that kind of solid team do you think that was playing maybe three four games in a row with kind of Kearney Reed Robinson at left back etc I think um I think yeah we'll see we'll see a few changes I think obviously Rodak will come back in anyway um for Gaza um Shalaba, I presume, will drop out for, for Seri or, or Kearney. It was interesting to see yesterday, actually, that Seri was on before Kearney, so maybe that's an indication as to what's going to happen on Tuesday, that maybe Seri is, is um, starting. I was surprised to see him involved at all yesterday, to be honest with you, Seri, um, since he's just fresh back, but um, maybe that's an indication as to as to um, what's going to happen on Tuesday. But I think, yeah, apart from, apart from those two, um, I don't really see I don't really see any 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 other changes to be honest with you. Obviously the front line is gonna stay the same. And uh, Mitchell Gabano, Carvalho Wilson, and um, the usual and Harrison Reed, I presume, will, will be in there as well. Um yeah, maybe maybe Robinson, but I think after his um after what he's been through over the last the last week or so, I'd say he might stick with, with Joe Bryant. Um, but maybe he'll surprise us with Robinson. But yeah, I think it'll just be It'll just be Rodak and possibly Seri, I think, to come in. That's interesting. I, I would be uh, quite surprised to see it uh, be if it was like a Brian or a Seri. Uh, Stephen, what, what do you predict with the lineup? Oh, I'm, well, first of all, I'm just really excited for this game. I, uh, like Dom says, 
back to winning ways. You know, I know City in the Cup doesn't really count. Um, and for some <laughs> Don't reason, speak too soon. Some, some Millwall fans will clip that up. <laughs> <laughs> they are very welcome to. Um, no, no disrespect to Millwall. I don't, I don't pay a lot of attention to other teams' forms because usually Reading will go on a six-game uh, losing run and then beat us. So with Fulham, we are Fulhamish. So, you know, I'm really excited. I want to see Robbo back at left-back and I wanted to see him do one of those flipping celebrations he's been doing for America. Um, I think he's red hot at the moment. I am missing him a bit. So, yeah, hoping he goes straight back in, like you say, Rodak back in between the sticks. And, yeah, what a great headache that um, Silva's got now with team selection. We've come through a period with, you know, a, a few players short and we've we've come out, you know, very strongly in, in an amazing position. So hopefully we can crack on and, and grab, you know, three or six points in the next couple of games and give ourselves some some breathing room, which would be absolutely brilliant, wouldn't it? And who doesn't love a London derby uh, under the cottage lights on a Tuesday night? Who doesn't li- love hearing the word mill um, through Bishop's Park the entire way uh, from, from Putney Bridge Station? Can't wait for that on Tuesday. I, I mean, Dom, this is an excellent run of fixtures now for Fulham. I think this next five, Fulham can wrap up the league in a in a, not mathematical sense, but I think you can win four out of five very easily. And I don't really see any reason that it's not five out of five. I think Millwall's winnable. I think Hull is winnable. They lost to Preston. I know they went on that run earlier in the season. Then they decided to sack Grant McCann, the man that had kind of made that happen. So I think Hull are back where they were really. Huddersfield have been good this season, but it's a home game and I would expect us to beat Huddersfield. Then you've got two teams in and around the relegation zone in Peterborough and Cardiff. That is as good a run as the championship could serve us at the moment. And I'm not saying it's a foregone conclusion because nothing in football is a foregone conclusion. But that right there is a win us and win the league. Yeah, I think so. And I think I've, I've looked at it multiple times. Obviously, our tougher games are towards the end of the season. But hopefully we, we had the uh, promotion and potentially even the league <laughs> t- t- totally wrapped up. And then, you know, going to the likes of Bramwell Lane, playing, you know, Black, Blackburn at home, going away to Bournemouth, things like that. So this is a run now where we can really put back, put, build some momentum after that disappointing result against Blackpool. And, you know, with the way Bournemouth are playing, especially as what well, game is going on right now, I believe they're 1-0 down to Bournemouth and only have one shot and not on target in the first half against a team in the National League. So if that's Scott Parker's uh, cut football for you, I don't know. It's over. It's over. over. Literally, as we're recording, Boreham Wood have beaten Bournemouth. Well, my mate who's a Bournemouth Wood fan who's there must be absolutely loving life. I'm sure he's going to be very hungover in work on Monday. (laughs) But uh, yeah, I think that... Bournemouth have had 82% possession and two shots on target. I think that just explains Scott Parker's football. So they're always going to drop points I think because they're always they're going to have games where they'll squeeze victories but there's going to be games where they're not 100% on it and teams teams can surprise them as we've seen multiple times this season so yeah I think that these five games are so crucial now and as you said you, you can't say oh yeah we're going to go win the next five games but we've said this about runs before if you analyse each game individually you go through yeah we should win that yeah we should win that and yeah we should win that well, let's see uh, how it uh, how it goes on Tuesday uh, against Mill at the Cottage. Um, those of us that were there at the Den um, back in August, as you say, Dom, it should have been six or seven. So if we can perform half as well as we did that night, the biggest travesty, the fact it was only 2-1 in the end, really, wasn't it? And we actually had to hold on after. I, I genuinely think we played better in that game than we did in a few of the sixes and sevens games. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I, th- I, th- I think we did, and I think with with this, it just 
these these sort of these sort of runs you do get in the season. And I think you know we mentioned that with our late we are running towards the end of the season where we are playing tougher teams. If we are in this good run of form, it's going to give us so much more confidence for those games. And I think I think that I think and I think that's so important. And I think you know I'm not saying we can't go to Bournemouth for me, and we probably will. And I'm not saying we can't go to Bramall Lane on the last day when the league's probably already wrapped up because you're about 15 points clear. But um, I think I think I think that you know. This, 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 as he said, will decide not decide our season, but will show that we can really win this title and maybe even score promotion at a cancer. You know, in the dream world, we secure top two uh, at, away at Loftus Road. That's quite nice. Yeah, well, speaking, I was the column that's kind of um, segged into my next question. Blackburn um, lost this weekend to Swansea. So Fulham's lead at the top, still five points. Fulham got two games in hand now over Blackburn. Bournemouth a point behind them. Um, and I still can't go over that result. They lost to Wood. Shit. Parker's genuine. I genuinely think they're going to be calling for his head after that. Uh, and then QPR only one point behind Bournemouth. At what point do we consider QPR to be in pole position for top two? Um, yeah, uh, we kind of Blackburn came out of nowhere nearly after the after the seven nil. They um, they came out of nowhere, and now kind of QPR are creeping creeping up there behind it as well. So yeah, like considering the form that that uh, Bournemouth and Blackburn are on, QPR could very well be favourites. Like you said, they they've got two games in hand on on Blackburn. Um, and only two points behind them. Um, only one point behind Bournemouth. Bournemouth are, Bournemouth are not um, are not going to win every game between now and the end of the season. I think they'll lose quite a few because they really are. Um, they really are kind of going backwards considering how they started the season. I thought, I really thought we were never going to catch Bournemouth and I really thought um, we were going to have to settle for second at best. But they really have kind of fallen off a cliff and um, then they kind of come back with the odd good good win, good performance. But I don't. I I do think QPR now are the favourites to to get into that second spot, and um, and definitely they should be overtaking Blackburn. And with only a point behind Bournemouth, I would I would be fancying QPR definitely all day um, over Bournemouth, unless Bournemouth decides Scott Parker is not the man for the job anymore, and. They get the new the new manager bounce maybe. We'll bring back Woodgate. Like they did like they did yeah, last yeah, season. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah, why yeah. not? Classic Bournemouth <laughs> move. Just get Jason Tindall, yeah. he must be knocking about somewhere. Um Stephen, I mean like sorry, this is kind of shock news mid podcast, but like genuinely they could sack him. That's that's a Abysmal. I mean, look, fair play on Boreham Wood and they are having a great season, Boreham Wood. I don't know an awful lot about it, but I know they've only lost like two games this season and they are flying. But wow. Well, Sammy, you may not have heard this expression before, but, you know, football's all about fine margins. uh, (laughs) That's what wins your games and loses your games. Uh, Look, Bournemouth are going to be focusing on the league now. Uh, so, you know, I, I love the fact that they've fallen off a cliff. Uh, Scott Parker's going to be absolutely fine. They, they love him. They wanted him. In my opinion, he's kind of overachieving uh, on the grand scale of the whole season. Uh, but I am very much enjoying this dip in form because there was a time where we had also dropped um, and I was a bit worried that we were just going to keep falling, but we just picked ourselves back up and that was great. Um, I am so excited about, you know, we're discussing maybe we can win the next five games and the uh, I very much like to take it one game at a time and, and look at the small milestones. So for me, you know, it's Mitro smashing that re- goal-scoring record against Tony and, you know, us, uh, this sounds really pessimistic, but just like getting over that line so that we're guaranteed playoffs and the next thing is, you know, 
guaranteeing second place and winning that title um, because those things are achievable and around the corner very soon and we can start to start to get excited about these realistic goals and my goodness we could be lifting silverware at the end of the season not a third place fourth place playoff uh, cup but you know the championship but it would also just be nice to not have the stress of playoffs <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like, it would, it would feel nice to be able to watch got- them while we've been in the league and not worry about yeah. about what's happening. I mean, and going back to the Bourne Wood point, I mean, they've only got Frank Lampard next, so uh, they'll probably be uh, sailing straight through to the FA Cup quarterfinals. <laughs> I've got a stag on the weekend of the playoff final, so yeah, I, if, if we could just avoid that, just for my own personal benefit, that would be absolutely wonderful. Stag do at Wembley, Sammy, that sounds like the ultimate party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sadly the stag do's definitely in Manchester. I could make it, I did look it up, and I've made sure I'm free, but I really, really just want to be able to, you know, go watch that in a nice pub garden and watch, I don't know, Bournemouth versus Huddersfield, something like that, and just see who comes up with us. But look, you're right, Stephen, one game at a time, we get in a lot of trouble when we get ahead of ourselves and blow horns and things like that. So I know people listen and go, stop getting ahead of yourselves, nothing happened yet. I realise that. One game at a time. Let's beat Millwall on Tuesday. That's the most important thing. Uh, And thank you very much for listening today. That'll be all for the podcast. Uh, We need to name the pod. So Dom, what would you like to go with? I think there's only one way. And go back to FFC Dom 2 on Twitter's first goal wins. Oh, if only. It felt like that was it for Fulham. We got that first goal. It was like, right, whatever happens from here. I was content at that point. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's game done. Day done. Let's go. Let's go back to the pub. Even if it meant like for five or six, that we took the lead at the Etihad. It's fine, lads. Yeah, we, we've we've made a, we've made a game of this for at least ninety. Well, I don't think, well, I don't think we've done that since about two thousand eleven or two thousand twelve. So uh, it's a bit baby <laughs> it's a bit steps. Baby steps. Um, yeah. So thank you very much for listening today, and thank you to my guest Stephen Sheldrake. Cheers, everyone. Colin McDonald, nice to have you back. Thanks, everyone. And Don Betts. Been a pleasure, mate. Thursday Club will be back in the week with myself, Jack and Peter, looking back at the Millwall game and looking ahead to that trip to Hull on the weekend. So until then, have a great start to your week. Come on, you whites. Yeah.